Okay, colleagues, good evening. How are you? <laughs> Thanks for the warm welcome. I've had a bit of wine, so excuse me if I'm a bit. How do I put it in? Okay, good, excellent. No, I'm not using the presentation. It's an honor to be here, as I said earlier on. My name is Seppo Hachigonta. I work for, as like all of us here, for the National Research Foundation Pretoria office. I'm the director for strategic partnerships. What brought us here is the name systems. But before I go to that name of systems, for me, it's more about the connection. I mean, partnerships. So as I was coming here, I was looking beyond this topic but how do we start connecting within the nrf and look at other opportunities that can be triggered by systems analysis that can be, be triggered by other various work that we do within the organization as the nrf regardless of the siloed approach that we sometimes follow so i'm happy to be here we just had a very good conversation earlier on in the afternoons where we were speaking of we started on with speaking of systems analysis systems approaches, systems engineering, and then we just realized at the end, like, dude, we are speaking of the same thing. So how do we start looking at synergies in terms of systems analysis, systems engineering, and other things that we, 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 we can think of? As I said earlier on, it was all about systems. So we recently had a, a book that we launched working with Priscilla and other colleagues. It was on systems analysis approach. So the word systems basically uh, flashed out. And when you ask a lot of people, what is a system? Mostly what people think of is what you guys are doing at SKA here. When you speak of systems, you're speaking of uh, computer software. So it's very broad in terms of, of the field that we're speaking of. Our interest is on the approach, the systems approach, to look at how that system interacts within itself. It can be any system, it can be a computer system, it can be an ecosystem, it can be a biological system. What methodologies can you use to identify some of the challenges or issues that come up, problems that come up within, within that system? If you change one variable, how does it affect other parameters? Aligned to that, to that is what systems engineering does best, understanding the system. So how do you understand the system as it is now? But if you zoom out of the engineering, if you in, in the research or in the ecosystem, you can never always understand the whole, the whole system. So there's a component of the system that you can understand wholly, but there are other issues that you might not understand. Because as we know, if you talk of systems, you're speaking of complex system. So with that in mind, you speak of how do you use the past to build some of the knowledge within the system? And as we're looking forward, how do you look at these approaches to start shaping the ideas going in the future. We're speaking a lot of the fourth industrial revolution. How do you use these systematic approaches to address some of the future challenges or solutions that we might be thinking of in the future? And how do you work around, example, use software models to look at how these variables, if you change one variable, two variables, how does our system behave in a nutshell? So that's the kind of thought I want us to be in, to come out of our share, our comfort zone, and speak broadly of a system, not just from the engineering perspective, but from the broader perspective, what does that mean? And from that system, we start looking at system engineering, system thinking, system approaches, and how we can, for instance, use examples or tools that are used in systems engineering in other sectors within the context. What that might do in the future is try to start shaping issues around systems thinking as we are speaking in the afternoons in terms of systems thinking from basic education, for instance. We are always siloed from the university's perspective or the schooling. Universities, it's chemistry, physics, engineering. It's, it's not systematic. We think, we think like that because we are taught like that because it's always been done like that. But we need to start disrupting the way we change things. So the hope that is to use this as an experiment to look at ways in which we can 
from an outreach angle, start looking at ways we can start building the capacity from a younger age in terms of thinking broadly, which is not new. It's exactly what a body, we've got legs, we've got hands, it's a body, but it has to work, it has to coordinate to work as a system. So how do we just explain that in terms of our decision making at a younger age, say if you're speaking of a system, it's a simple concept. Yes, you know maths, yes, you know psychology, you know, but think of it broadly. If you've got a problem, you need to think of it, most of the problems, holistically, instead of thinking in silos. Young age, all the way up to universities, from the way our departments are working within the universities. And using the NRF, SKA as a national facility, it's supposed to be a national facility, so we're supposed to be speaking on behalf of South Africa. The good thing is it's, it's a national facility which is set up by the government, using it as a conduit to start spearheading issues around systems analysis as an example. We can broaden up as we go forward in the future and systems engineering as an example, what SK is doing. So we need to be in the forefront of spearheading what the national facilities is doing on, national, on systems analysis, as well as using it as an example when you speak of basic research. What does it mean to the community? It's not just the research that happens. There's lots of engineering that's happening. There's lots of software development that's happening. How do we communicate that to the society, which pays all of us here in terms of uh, being the National Research Foundation and the public entity? So explaining how this, some of these tools are being used beyond SKA to advance some of the knowledge and societal uh, challenges that we have. Fortunately, I've got my colleague here, Priscilla. She prepared the presentation. I don't have to talk a lot, a lot. She'll just share with you some of our investment opportunities that we've been having within the country. But of course, we can socialize them in terms of systems Priscilla. Good evening, colleagues. Sepo, thank you very much for that overview. I want to stand where I won't be in anybody's way. Um, I would really like to thank um, Apiwe and Gerard uh, and the Inkose team for the kind invitation. I know that the catalyst for this was the book, and the book is somewhere in the audience. It's over there. So uh, you can have a look at it, flip through it. Um, and I'm actually quite happy to share the e-book with you, Apiwe, to share with the colleagues. Um, I would like to start with two confessions. My first confession is that I'm not a systems analyst. I was trained as a, uh, as a chemist, um, and my PhD was in pediatric vaccine development. So it's kind of a jump to systems analysis, and I will share some of my uh, journey on uh, systems analysis with you. My second confession is that um, this presentation represents only a slice of um, what the book covers. Um, and there's a lot of depth to the book, so I hope you will spend some time uh, looking at the content of the book. It's written for a diverse audience uh, that includes uh, people who are not in the discipline, but who are able to understand and appreciate um, the value of systems thinking. And so uh, the, the purpose of the presentation tonight is to provide some information, but really we would like to leave here with um, perhaps some ideas of how what is being done um, within the granting arm, the strategic partnership arm of VNRF can be greater aligned to what's being done here at SKA. So please keep that at the back of your mind and, and uh, let's see what develops from tonight's presentation. This is the mandate of the NRF. Um, uh, basically, it's to catalyze knowledge production for societal benefits, and we're quite uh, familiar with this. Um, I included this as a reminder to myself that actually I'm speaking to NRF colleagues because... Um, as Seppo indicated, the NRF is, uh, the SK is part of the NRF, so we are colleagues. And that's why I'm grateful to be here tonight, because if it wasn't for this opportunity, it would not have led to the great conversations that we have already had today. So we're very grateful for the invitation. Um, I would 
journey with systems analysis from the perspective of the NRF uh, really began through our membership with the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis. And the history of that international institute came from the Cold War, where really there was conflict between Russia, uh, the U.S. and its allies. Um, And yet there was important science to be done. And so the institute was established. And in spite of the Cold War going on, scientists were able to collaborate. And this institute continues to be an international institute with over 350 researchers from 50 countries, a wide alumni base of 3,500 people worldwide, over 720 institutions, and they have a Young Scientist Summer Program that has trained nearly 2,000 young scientists from 86 countries. And you can see they um, they publish a, a heck of a lot. And, and a lot of these publications also include uh, policy briefs. So in this context, what does systems analysis mean? It incorporates all of this. And the simple way that um, I understand systems analysis is that there's a common problem to be tackled and you get many stakeholders together, so scientists, uh, NGOs, etc., around the table, various stakeholders to tackle that problem from their perspective. And the, um, the, the, the computer software that we have available makes it possible to um, create a, a number of scenarios that also inform policy formulation. What the SDGs illustrate, all 17 of them, is that it's not possible for one scientific discipline to help us address the complex challenges that uh, society faces. And um, even if you just look at the the SDGs, you can see that they they are not in silos themselves, there are definitely interconnections. So if you look at gender equality, that is linked to poverty. Um, and the literature shows that when you train women, uh, it's improve, it improves um, pos- poverty, it also improves health. And so it has a link to most of the SDGs that are um, shown here. Now, the advantage of using systems thinking to address these challenges is that it provides you with a broader context. So you can model various scenarios, as I've said, that uh, involve policy. You you can work in in multiple sectors and you also have various uh, perspectives because you have multiple stakeholders. So... From the South African perspective, we joined IASA in 2007 and the NRF is uh, the, the NMO. And this partnership, has, so our membership is about 5 million rand a year. Um, and it's made it possible to have uh, scientific engagement, uh, joint research studies, high-level engagements uh, that include policy dialogues, hosting symposiums, and also uh, supervising postgraduate students. And you can see from this slide that there is alignment between our national STIs. We currently have a draft white paper that's under development with EASA's research programs. There are nine of them um, currently, although we are aware that EASA is um, working on its strategy. So IASA has been hosting since 1977, before I was born, has been hosting a Young Scientist Summer Program. This is a three-month program that uh, affords young scientists the opportunity to work in any of the broad areas that I showed you previously. It gives them the opportunity to work with experienced uh, scientists, expand their networks, um, and also uh, publish. And South Africa is the only country outside of the other national member organizations that has hosted a similar program outside of Austria. Um, and so from 2012 to 2015, we hosted the Southern African Young Scientist Summer Program. Um, and this program had 
Similar benefits trained 80 doctoral students from 30 countries, including 35 from South Africa, and some of them are collaborators on the book. Um, it used a model of science in triplets. So there was a South African researcher partnering with an IASA researcher to supervise a team of students, and that team sometimes included postdoctoral fellows. And uh, the SAYSSP, remember, was only for three months, has evolved now into the Southern African Systems Analysis Center, which is a consortium of uh, four universities, Western Cape, Stellenbosch, Limpopo, and Wits. Um, and it adds the added advantage of a three-year scholarship versus a three-month program. Um, And then, of course, all the other value add that comes with it. And that's been very valuable. Um, It starts off with an inception meeting, and they are also able to benefit from the book as an added uh, resource. As part of SASAC, there are uh, four pillars on which it stands. So I've mentioned the... Uh, PhD program, but the PhD program also comes with capacity development intervention. So because systems analysis is so broad, it's important to introduce them to the concepts of it. And that's included in it. It also includes writing retreats. So it's really a program that's meant to be enabling to doctoral students. And then for postdocs, there's a high level capacity strengthening program that brings in postdocs who Um, have some data that can be enriched with systems thinking. And so they spend three weeks with a mentor to build that into a paper. At the end of three weeks, uh, and and this is funded by the the NRF, we recognized that there was value in developing this capacity in systems thinking, not just at the PhD level or at the postdoctoral level, but even... Um, at the honors level. So as part of SASAC, WITS has, uh, over the last two years, been working to develop an honors module in um, systems analysis that was rolled out for the first time this year. So there is room for collaboration. And so I, I leave this slide here for you to reflect on whether there are any special projects that can be initiated in partnership with colleagues at the SKA um, in collaboration with researchers at IASA, but not limited to IASA. So um, the collaboration can definitely be expanded um, to other countries where there is expertise. So please consider that. Now, I must admit that it's impossible not to enjoy my work when I work with such a great uh, and, f- and fun bunch. So that's me. Um, and this is David Katerere. He's one of the co-editors of the book. Um, this is just a sampling of some of the students who uh, have participated in these programs and some of the academic uh, mentors. And so in some of the slides that follow, we would, I'd just like to zoom in on one asp- aspect uh, of the book, specifically cities as a force for good in the environment. So the second chapter contains four case studies that demonstrate how cities can be a force for good in the environment. It identifies what the problem is, identifies the system, um, uses a range of methods to look at um, where the interconnections are and what lessons can be learned that could inform policy and thinking and behavior uh, around that problem. So, uh, and even then, uh, of the case studies, I had initially thought of looking at city region transportation. So this is in India, energy efficient buildings in uh, South Africa, Bloemfontein, and also solid waste management. These are um, very serious problems uh, in the areas in which they occur. I decided in the interest of time to only focus on this case study because you will be able to read the the others at your leisure. And the case study comes from India, the Kanyakumari district, which is in the south of India. Uh, It's an area of about 2,000 square kilometers and a population of almost 2 million. 
If you exclude the forest area, there are 1,627 people per square kilometer. This is the main highway uh, that runs through this district. And there is population and vehicular pressure on this national highway, although there are secondary and, and tertiary roads. Um, the reason for this is because there's actually improper road networks, insufficient secondary and tertiary roads, and poor interconnectivity between them. And so this is what it looks like. The lanes are narrow, so it's rare to have four lanes uh, in that area. So the, the lanes are narrow. And there is also encroachment um, due to street parking, um, other structures, um, and even religious structures on the road. Bear in mind, this is a national highway. Um, <laughs> so you can see from the top pictures that um, it's really a problem and congestion is very, very high. Now, we know that technology is taking us places, and there may come a time when we have a flying bus. But until then, we, there, were, there is a, a dire need for alternative solutions. So uh, this is the methodology that went into addressing this problem. Um, a survey was uh, collected, um, statistically analyzed, and then systems dynamics modeling was used. Um, it, has, it, it is rarely applied in the context of transformation in India, and it enables um, understanding of the influence of various subsystems. It also looks at the causal feedback um, and, and helps to plan for possible policy interventions. And so, as you can see from this, um, if you have investment in infrastructure and land availability that will have will contribute to an improved road network and that in congestion in conjunction with reduced uh, congestion reduced travel time will lead to enhancement in level of service and this also then has a positive feedback loop to improve road networks so what were some of the policy uh, interventions? If the inf investment was um, made available and the land was also made available, it caused reduced con congestion and um, the level of service from the previous uh, figure also led to uh, travel time being reduced carbon emissions decreasing and a reduced cost for transformation. And because it led to um, higher productivity, the, the GDP of the area also increased. It also had a positive benefit for the environment because it decreased fuel consumption. I haven't uh, outlined the methodology from the systems dynamics modeling, but the results demonstrated that if the policy interventions resulted in uh, upgrades, then you had a reduction in vehicle flow volumes. And in fact, the gap between the available road networks and that required to meet the demand was reduced by 40%. Whereas if, if it was left as uh, business it, as usual, um, it would actually have increased uh, congestion by 136% by 2041. So some valuable insights that come um, uh, from using this methodology. Additional benefits included a 15% increase in GDP, reduction in carbon emission by 24%, fuel consumption by 7%, and a reduction of wastage of land by over 60%. So these are some ways in which um, applying uh, systems thinking can um, help one make positive policy choices. One of my favorite chapters in the book is chapter 17 on new approaches to measuring aging. Because although we are all mostly young, we cannot have run away from aging. We can try and slow it down with good diet, exercise, Botox, but in the end, it catches up with us. And so this chapter shows um, 
that uh, aging in South Africa is not a neutral thing and there are a lot of nuances uh, to it. So I would highly recommend it in the interest of time and uh, in the desire to have uh, engagement. I haven't gone into details in this chapter. But like I said, the, the book is written in a way that makes it easier to read. So if you find a chapter that's interesting, it will be very easy to read. And we also have an abstract at the beginning of each chapter that summarizes the content of the chapter. So you can skip the ones that you are not interested in. <laughs> what is the future of systems analysis? This is a very open question. This picture was taken at a policy dialogue session, uh, session in Stellenbosch. Um, and so the people in the picture, that's me, um, are policymakers, students, um, researchers, and the intention was to bring everybody together to talk about, uh, and I said this during our prior engagement, that we had challenged the doctoral students to develop a policy brief as part of their PhD. And so uh, a dialogue session like this allows them to present that brief to real policymakers. Um, and, and also to expand their networks as well. So we would be very interested to know how we can include the work, feature the work that's been done at the SKA as part of our investment in systems analysis. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to open up for questions, discussions, comments. Happy work, can I say? In my negotiations with Seppo, he agreed to answer all your questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now is your time. Um, Seppo, would you like to start? Yeah, I'll So, From, from the, from the policymakers, basically, from, from government and from people, into, into using this uh, as tools to solve the, the, the complex problems we, we, we are facing. Okay. To some extent, this was uh, our previous minister's baby. Naledi Pando had a passion for systems analysis. So basically, she encouraged us to go for the partnerships as well as the the membership with EASA. So the, the buy-in is super high. If you look at the challenges, not even from a challenge perspective, if you look at the ideas that we need to be generating in the next 20, 30, 40 years, we need to be looking at this holistic approach of identifying the solutions and the problems that we, we are facing. So the buy-in is, is, is super high, but the challenge I think is mostly on us as a granting council and a research entity working with the universities and other knowledge producers, how do we position this think systems thinking as a way forward to developing some of the solutions? And how do we communicate what we're doing? As we, we were discussing in the afternoons, we, we, we saw the different perspective or definitions that can just come out from systems analysis. Or just explaining what it is what will come out from one person to the other is completely different. But in a nutshell, we mean the same thing. So how do we sell that idea be beyond one minister who is so passionate about education and about systems analysis to all the ministers, to the president at that high level, to other stakeholders, if you speak of the industry, if you speak of the other non-for-profit organization, how do we speak of systems approaches to addressing the challenges at, and to coming up with all these innovative solutions to addressing some of the things that we have. So I think that's on us. I bounce it off you and me again as NRF. What do we do to make sure that people understand what we speak of when we speak of a system and not having a linear approach to solving problems that we are faced with? 
how do you manage intellectual property in this scenario? Depends. Our intellectual property is a bit varied. From the NRF perspective, if we find a, a, a research, then the intellectual property, of course, lies within the NRF. But if it's a bilateral, like with other bilaterals, YASA is one of the bilaterals, but and other bilaterals, intellectual property depends on what the agreement is you've agreed on between the two parties. But mostly if, from, for instance, with YASA, we do the funding mostly they're there as a partner to guide us in terms of the supervision because we know that within south africa we've got li limited supervisors to 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 achieve our endeavors in 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 all these fields that we mentioned but other sectors beyond iasa if you speak of sk partnership with australia some of those pi uh issues are addressed depending on what ska has said on pi issues so it's project dependent but this project mostly, if you speak of PI, it's, it's NRF dependent as well because we do the funding. We are the main funder for the project. So it's easier. Yeah. Have I answered it? Or am I a bit vague like systems analysis? <laughs> there's no direct answer with systems analysis. You always have to say there's no boundaries. It's too complex. I'm just curious to know uh, Using system analysis, uh, what is the breakdown of um, sustainable cities? Like, um, uh, I've always seen the time of police heard about it, but uh, never, I'm sure with your guys' methodology, we're able to break it down into you know uh, special components which play a specific role to it. So, uh, just one else, just just a brief uh, overview of like what else, what do you guys, what kind of findings do you find? regarding mm -hmm. system analysis on sustainable cities? I'm going to answer by what most scientists don't do. I don't know. <laughs> we didn't broadly uh, touch on other cities. So it was a case study from India. So there's no comparison from the global perspective. Can I comment on that? Yeah. So when it comes to sustainable cities, um, it's important to define your system. Um, and so in the case that I explained, the system was a transportation system. But it could very well be the waste management system. And you could see there were clear environmental benefits in the example from India. And so um, in the context of sustainable cities, we recognize that although the city is the suprasystem, you can break it down into subsystems. Uh, and so what tends to happen with research is that um, a subsystem gets identified that's part of the supra-supra-system. Um, and then the research is targeted to that and it then looks at the causal loops linked to that system, etc. Thank you, Priscilla. At least somebody knew what I didn't know. <laughs> Yes, please. Firstly, I must say I really enjoyed that example that you gave. And, and the joy for me in systems engineering has always been in well, systems thinking, how everything is about systems. And when I was a system engineer, the same principles you use to design a fleet management or vehicle packing system, you can also apply it to build the team that develops that system. And you can follow the same principles to analyze the whole greater group of stakeholders. So it makes good sense that you mm. take the principles of systems analysis and you can apply those broadly <coughs> to all the different systems inside the city. So I have two questions. The first one is, um, what is your, what was your experience around working with universities? I haven't looked at it in a while, but um, when I studied, for example, systems engineering was on no university mm. curriculum. Um, and even recently, when we started this chapter in our interaction with universities, a lot of them didn't really get the systems thinking concept. Mm. They were more concerned with how do we train people so that I can get some sort of a job that I've actually heard of before. <laughs> so um, for me, that has always been a, a great gap because if you think about systems thinking, I think who was it? Gerard, I think that's it. The sort of problems that we're sitting with. We've managed, you know, we know how to build a Boeing 747. It's complex, but there's lots of components, but we can do that. But add a few thousand or million people to the equation, and then you have a really interesting problem. Um, so 
So firstly, what's your feedback in terms of the universities? And then secondly, since you're talking at an INCOSI event, the International Council on Systems Engineering that has really been focusing on how do you apply systems thinking, what is sort of your interaction with INCOSI and your experience <coughs> of working with them? Can, can I start? And yeah. So on the, on the, f the last one, the INCOSI one, this is the first interaction we've had. As I said earlier on, within the NRF, there's a lot of siloed approach. And it's good that our new CEO, not new anymore, our CEO is pushing for this single NRF, as speaking in terms of values and what we do. And I think this is one of the good opportunities when you speak of interactions going forward. So it's, we hope it will grow beyond what we have had today and looking at other opportunities. This is not the only membership that we had had to. There's 50 plus membership that NRF pays within the international sphere because we believe that if you want to do excellent research, you can't do it in isolation. You have to follow the model of SKA where we see global world and inter internationalization is one of the key priorities of the NRF. That being said as well, the focus on Africa is, is quite huge at the moment. So like with SKA, we need to put that uh, uh, opportunity and leverage on some of the interactions within the continent that we are working on. Interactions with the universities and systems analysis, Priscilla will add a bit more on that. I think that's, if, even from this project, that's one of the challenges that we've had. If you go to university and speak of systems analysis, then they don't know what you're speaking of. What systems analysis? Even if it's as simple as it can get, but we speak different languages. So from the, that component, it's, it's a bit vague, and that's the challenges what, that we've had. Last, the last three years, when it changed from the SAYSSP that Priscilla mentioned in 2014 to the SASAC model, mostly what we do is there's a call that goes out, and we identify institutions to do all the running around and to facilitate the program for three years or so. When it left YSSPSA, to SASAC, there was a call that went out, open for two months, no application. People didn't know what was systems analysis or what we meant. We go back to the universities, we had to go this road, to this road trip to say systems analysis is basically you not know, simplified, it's anything, but it has to be connected and A, B, C, D, the definitions. And we had one application, we extended the call again, still one application. So it's a major challenge within universities because there's no understanding in terms of what do you mean by systems analysis, as well as their men the mentality of our system where the university is silos, as we were discussing earlier on with Roger, where there's no qualifications on systems analysis within the university, within the, the whole country. And so how do you present that as a way of doing things? Our approach now is now to focus more on the research and the capacity development at PhD level or master's level, because that's the flexibility. You're using an approach. You might be doing economics or astronomy, but your approach is on systems analysis. So yes, it's astronomy, but you're looking at different sectors. And your PhD, yes, it will be given a certificate on astronomy, but what you've done within your PhD, you said you use the multidisciplinary approach towards addressing the whatever challenge you are addressing within your PhD. So that's the kind of thinking that we are going towards. Priscilla, do you have any more on that? I would add that I'm optimistic about the um, engagement with universities. And we have an advisory group as the NMO um, that advises on the decisions we make on um, our investment in systems analysis. And we realize that there's a lot of interdisciplinary research that's happening um, that has all the components that one would use to define systems analysis, but maybe they just don't call it that. Mm -hmm. And so our intention is to try and look at where this research is happening in the country and to almost network the networks and create more coordination in the system and synergy in the system. I even understand that there's an, a, a conference on systems <coughs> analysis that's happening sometime this year. So it seems as if there are pockets of networks in the country, and we need to look at how we can yeah. better connect those networks. Yes. I had a chat with Thomas, 
and he told me about the Inkose conference that's happening in October mm-hmm. at the CSIR. It's literally across the road, so we will be popping in there. But we would like to be kept in the loop about the work that Inkose is doing so that we can facilitate your link to other networks that we are aware of. Yeah, and that in addition to that as well is the speaking, as I said, the speaking of one NRF. When we speak of one NRF, what does it mean? The values, as well as how do we use examples on systems engineering from the SK perspective, from the national, national we are speaking of a national facility. How do we use that example to say, this is what we are doing in South Africa, building all these uh, SKL-related facilities and equipment, and how it can be applied even outside that sphere towards other uh, issues that we are faced with. We're speaking of big data. We speak of big data, we speak of SKL in the world at the moment. The data that we have now, we don't have the processor power or the intellectual ability to do the analysis now, what does it mean? How do we translate it to society? How do we translate it to policymakers? How do we translate it to the private sector and a common man who's supposed to understand all these billions of runs that we've spent in SKA? So it's that opportunity as well. I think that's what the value of this meeting is as well to say, how do we move beyond what it's been to coming up with a small core group, but whatever we are doing, it can be of higher impact within the organization and broadly within the country going forward. Um, Maybe just more more a comment than a question, but I'm just wondering with regards to the education part, you know, whether whether maybe it's not, it is maybe a good thing that we, the the current approach that you have, because I'm not sure whether, you know, if there is something like a department of systems thinking or a department of systems Mm -hmm. Whether you can get a degree in systems engineering or systems analysis, whether that really makes sense, because in that way you just create another silo. Really, you almost need something that is totally mm. different way of doing yeah. things. Um, uh, my, my, it needs to be sort of rather uh, crosswise connecting mm. to all the different parts of disciplines that that you hold. It's like almost an additional course that you just mm. take with your. your mm. I agree with you, because now if, for example, there's lots of talk in terms of the model of funding, if you're granting council like the NRF, what impact are you having or what's the impact of our research? So there's lots of those discussion happening to say, if you are a funder within your instruments that you're using for funding, what type of indicators are you using to measure that impact? And one of the ways of doing that is looking at this holistic approach to say it's not siloed, but it's looking at this multidiscipline. It's more of driven by the outcomes or outcome-based research. So it's not just research, but at the end of the day, you can talk of potential impact of that research that you're doing within the holistic picture. But changing how universities work, it will take time because they're used to doing things the way they're doing. But the benefit of the NRF is we can start influencing those things to say there are opportunities if you're doing courses in systems analysis like VITS has done, the NRF can facilitate some of those processes through funding, through the international partnerships that we bring in. So there's, there's lots of discussion, but for me it's about what opportunities do we create internally that we can showcase outside. It won't work if within the NRF it's still disjointed. If you speak of NRF, there's NRF RISA office, there's SKA, there's Scion, we speak differently. So we need to think of how do we speak holistically as one institution in terms of living our values and our culture, and then speaking of how do we influence the whole system, the universities and et cetera, et cetera, through systems analysis. So we don't have one solution that will fit all, but we, it starts with these small projects, experiment, if it works, upscale. That's my view, yeah. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, and we'll go through you later on. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks very much for the presentation. I've kind of got two questions uh, around systems analysis, a couple more specifically. Um, my understanding is that there's is quite a challenge involved in trying to find a model to analyze a particular system that is sufficient. Um, 
I've seen quite a few models where a lot of things get left out, and then the result is is, is kind of nonsensical. Mm. So, so my first question is, Question the last one, <laughs> Priscilla. You answer the last one. I'll answer. <laughs> Can you start with the last one? Anything on the book? Um, so there's a lot that has been written, and one of the things I appreciate about IASA is that they don't have a retirement age. So as long as you have the power, you can continue to work and. They have a lot of Nobel laureates that have been grappling with these issues. So there's a, my point is, there's a lot of literature on methodology that's been used in the context of applied systems analysis. But to your point, when I, I appreciate the concept of a wicked problem. Do you know what that is? Mm -hmm. It's a problem that's complex but does not have a solution. Um, and I found that fascinating. Um, and, and so you're absolutely right. There, there are problems that have been identified as having no solutions, and so trying to solve them will be not helpful. Yeah. Um, but to your point about the methodology, um, generally there are limitations to the models that, that are used. But uh, the, the rule of thumb is, if you, have, if you can get multiple perspectives, the more perspectives you get, the better the solution starts to look. Um, and so the book also has case studies on participatory governance. So it, it, talk, it provides experiences of, um, say, green energy, green energy projects that have been run that had a top-down approach. So the community will receive windmills. And, and how was that received in the community, even though there was a sense that um, this is good for the environment, the consensus in the community was this was not our idea for this uh, project, and so there isn't buy-in, and so good projects can die in the absence of participatory governance. Um, yeah, that's my two cents. <laughs> Thanks, Priscilla. And uh, just to add on that, uh, component. My take on that as well, the, the first question, if you speak of a system, and if it's broad, like you're speaking of this macro system, the global system, you don't necessarily have to know all the components on how they work, on how the system works. Classic example is issues around climate change. We need to understand the system, and a lot of modeling has, done, has been done with regards to that. However, how do we communicate that 2%, 10% that we don't know? It's because it's all interconnected. So the most of the modeling, yes, it's done, but it's how this system works together. And if you change certain variables, knowing those big things like, okay, we know now, like there's this, this anthropogenic changes, too much pollution, that will affect temperature. However, within that sphere, we know that there are other variables that still affect temperature. There's volcanoes, there's radiation from the sun, and etc. How do you explain some of those elements to the community as well? So it's, it's more of a concept of democracy to some extent, where we, which is not perfect. We say the majority, more, if most scientists, 80, 70% are saying there's climate change, but do we ignore the other 10%? If not, do we justify to say, yes, the majority of the body of science says, 90% says, this is what's happening, we've done our modeling, justify the other side of, of the story. So yes, it's about explaining the models and the limitations of what we know within that system. Clearly to say, we know this and we don't know that. From what we know, we can make predictions on what will happen in the future. I think that's what mostly 
scientists who are towards climate change explain but the other side of it they won't explain to say there is no climate change and this there's no that validation so understanding the system is, is very critical i think that's why if you speak of systems engineering the details that goes in systems engineering that's where we can start using these some of these experiments some of these experience on how you need to get a system as perfect as possible before you speak of how all these parameters within it interact and change and you can use them to advise other stakeholders, government or society as well as prediction in the future. So there's lots of synergies and learnings to be done. But the science will never be perfect. For me as a scientist, if I'm speaking or if I hear somebody saying, this is 100% of what I'm doing, I always scratch my head like it, science can never be 100%. There's always that two percent that you don't know now do you explain it just if you don't know yet say yes the body of science didn't yet understand it but the majority we understand it and this is how we are viewing it going in the future sorry for that unwinded answer we don't have a direct question answer to you <laughs> sir here we've yes, um, yeah, part of my question has been answered but i just wanted to find out as to uh, looking at the cases that you have studied um, uh, for example, one of uh, India, you make inferences that um, the, the situation that or the outcomes of India, basically what you studied, uh, the lesson learned can be transferable to the cases in South Africa because I truly believe that uh, the, the two scenarios are completely different mm. and obviously they've been informed by been a behavior over time that mm. actually uh, made the two scenarios completely different. So uh, I just wanted to find out as to when looking at all these scenarios, do you make those inferences that whatever that is there then could also be applicable to uh, our situation in South Africa? Mm, if not, no. Short answer is no. The whole idea of a case study is you're looking at that environment that the India environment and the parameters around the India environment. But the whole idea with experimentation is to try and look at if you're using that model, okay, one, you're using some of the methodologies you're using and there's uncertainty, of course. There's always possibility of using that same methodology to another case. So there's always a learning perspective. If you look at India, the traffic in India is almost closer to Johannesburg. Okay, so how do you start looking at what happens in India to inform your decision, even if you're not in India? To say this is what we've done in India, they've got lots of uh, traffic, A, B, C, D, which we have in South Africa. Can we learn something from India if, if they're coming up with solutions that work using that system's perspective and bring them to South Africa, not as is, but use some of the model and tailor it to our environment? So we have to tweak it. The methodology, we tweak it. The population which we can we look at how can we use some of that learning. Otherwise, we can't always start from the start from scratch. There's so many things that are done around the world. India case, transport is one case. But if you look at so many cases or so many challenges that we have, most of these things we can learn from different parts of the world, especially as well as it's not just within the spatial case. If you look at the themes space, if you speak of engineering, socioeconomics, there are so many models that are used in these different themes. Some of those models can be transferred from one model to the other uh, theme. How do you learn? But how do you tell it to address what you want to, to address? So India case, yes, it might be completely different, but we can learn from it. And some of the methodologies, we can apply them here. Yeah. I would just add that um, in order for research to inform uh, policy and practice, it's important that it be relevant. And um, when it comes to applying systems thinking, there's decision making um, under uncertainty, and some of this comes out through the research, but there's also decision making under contradictory certainties. So one of the chapters in the book on energy looks at the um, policy environment for energy in South Africa. Mm -hmm and some of the contradictions in the country's own energy policies and how to navigate that when it comes to decision making.
Yeah. Um, but it does have to be relevant to the context you are in so that it can inform decision making. Yeah. And I'm glad that there's the energy report that came out, is it yesterday? If you look at some of the issues that are coming out, that's the classical dynamic of systems approaches as well, looking at these different sectors and how they can contribute towards this inclusive energy sector in, in South Africa. Do you have any analysis that's being done um, with regards to the implementation of the NHI? The, NH, the National Health, no, we didn't, we didn't do that. that. Um, yeah. No, we didn't do that. Um, well, looking in a way that it can be implemented, that makes sense. But that seems like something that's... No, what we, we looked at was HIV in specific, which is part of the health sector. But we didn't look at the NHI in, 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 in it, yeah, the way it is now. There's lots of politics happening within that. And there's a lot of players as well as within that. So as well, it's look, if you look at NHI, it's a classic example as well of systems dynamics. If you look at the players there, there's the private sector who, of course, they're protecting, and there's the public sector which is saying everyone has, should have access to, to the health sector. But looking at the variables, looking at the players that are involved in, and at the end of the day, it's about access to, to the health care. So there's lots of yeah, contradictory statements on that, and I'm not sure what the delays are but it's as well as to do with the budget constraints of the government, if you look at it at the moment, and issues that came up with FISMAS4 where things have to move around to facilitate one area of the government priorities and one of the areas will definitely suffer. One classic example is the, the health care. Like yes. So for me, the, the whole idea is to try and look at, look at the methodologies. It might be systems engineering, if it's making sense within that sphere, can it be applied to other sectors? It might be health, it might be agriculture or anything else. But how do we use some of these methodologies? We adapt them to understand that system and say, this is our proposed potential solutions going forward. It, yeah, it's a bit radical, but maybe it will happen <laughs> from SKA perspective, yeah. Any more questions or comments or ways forward apart from questions? <laughs> um, Roger and Renee? Oh, okay. I thought sorry. you were going to yeah, comment or something. Okay, that's cool. Um, do you have any more questions, comments, contributions, collaborations? Yes, <laughs> collaborations within the NRF. <laughs> we need to start with this group, at least a small group, and then we show like this is how we're working. It's not just the administrative office, as you are called Priscilla there, and the SKA, but collaboratively, how do we come up with these experimentations? And for me, it's always the idea of if we're speaking of the national facility, how do we upscale and increase the voice of the national facility? If it's SKA, how do we make sure that society understands what we are doing within SKA? And how do we convince them like what we're doing, that's value from, that's public money within South Africa. It's a lot of money within, within our fiscal budget. How do we start making people understand or use SKA as an example of when you say basic research investments? SK classic example of how this research is translating, not now, not directly, not indirectly into societal benefit in the long term, or just other opportunities that come within the basic research uh, opportunities. Yeah. received an email, well I think everyone at SK received an email from the NRF about the publication of the book and um, Herod and I sent each other emails and we're like how come we don't know about these people, I wonder if anyone knows about them within the inclusive environment, if there's a lot of analysis and systems engineering but we've never heard anything. Uh -huh. So we said let's make contact and let's see if we can work out something and thank you very much because when we started talking to them, they were so interested and followed up with us, and you know, so we have a little token. I'm going to take a photo. You can. 
Ah, thank you. Is it wine? Well, we've got a it's nice good evening. Wine. <laughs> <laughs> Let's Lucilla, make it we are sleeping here. Yeah. <laughs> make me look tall, <laughs> hey? <laughs> you have a box? Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. This is so unexpected. Thank you very much. Thank you to our audience for tonight. Thank you very much for coming through. Um, thank you, Harris, who actually assisted me with organizing the event. And also, I must say, this room is actually a meeting room, so it's not an auditorium. So. It took a bit of manpower to organize it in this manner. So I'd like to thank 